Welcome to KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Monday, September 18th of 2023. I'm your host, Yvonne Olivas. Coming up on today's program, do you have questions about the new ranked choice voting method in place for Boulder's first time electing a mayor via the ballot? We'll have some guests in this morning to help clarify. Then, CityCast Denver sits down with the state's first Gen Z House representative to talk about youth participation in the political process and pay barriers. After the BBC News headlines, we'll hear the latest commentary from Jim Hightower. Then it's good old CU with Joe Uhas. Today, he'll speak with teaching associate professor Tracy Farrell about attempts by faculty and staff to secure a living wage. At 9 a.m., Counterspin will bring us a look at fairness and accuracy in reporting. At 9.30, Roger Hera will be in the Denver studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all coming up. But first, the headlines with KGNU's Benita Lee. Three separate shootings in Denver within a few hours of one another left seven people injured this weekend. The first shooting involved a juvenile male victim and occurred close to midnight on Saturday on California Street. The second was reported an hour later on Market Street with five adult victims transported to the hospital. According to the Denver Post, all five victims are expected to survive. Then, just after 1 a.m. Sunday morning, a man was shot on Kalispell Street and transported to the hospital. At 9 a.m. on Sunday, police announced they had arrested one suspect in connection with the third shooting. The first two shootings are still under investigation. Workers at the University Hills Starbucks in Denver voted last week to join Starbucks Workers United. It marks the fifth Starbucks location in Denver to win union recognition before the National Labor Relations Board. Over 350 Starbucks nationwide are now unionized. In related news, management and workers for Denver Urban Gardens, a nonprofit that creates community growing spaces, signed an agreement to recognize a new union. The agreement means union organizers did not have to hold an election to formalize worker representation. The U.S. Board on Geographic Names has given Mount Evans a new name, Mount Blue Sky. KGNU's Juanita Hurtado has more. The name change comes amid a federal effort to acknowledge the history of violent displacement targeting the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes. Both tribes requested the name change. As recently as last Thursday, the mountain bore the last name of John Evans, Colorado's second territorial governor. During his tenure, Evans oversaw a period of violent white encroachment into Indian lands, culminating in the notorious Sand Creek Massacre of 1864. The name Blue Sky holds meaning for both the Arapaho and Cheyenne tribes. The Arapahos are also known as the Blue Sky people and the Cheyenne tribe that holds an annual ceremony called Blue Sky about renewal of life. According to Nine News, both tribes are now aiming to change the name of the surrounding wilderness area, bearing the last name of John Evans, to Mount Blue Sky Wilderness Area. For KGNU, I'm Juanito Tortado. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced Friday that ranchers may kill wolves that attack livestock, working dogs, or that threaten people. 
The federal decision to declare gray wolves an experimental population under Rule 10J of the Endangered Species Act means Colorado officials and ranchers can manage the population with flexible strategies. The recommended strategies include several non-lethal tactics for deterring wolves from killing livestock. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service says they will compensate ranchers who lose livestock to wolves up to $15,000 per animal. Wolf reintroduction to Colorado will begin by December 31st. Colorado voters narrowly approved the reintroduction in a 2020 ballot initiative. United Power and XL Energy announced a partnership last week intended to shift the utility companies towards a lower carbon footprint. The deal would allow United Power to purchase renewable energy from Excel when a surplus is available. In a press release, United Power said this will mean lower prices for consumers. United Power is an electric co-op that serves Colorado's northern front range. The company is getting ready to end a wholesale power contract with another power supplier in May of 2024. The new deal with Excel is part of a transition to enter contracts with other power suppliers to maintain United Power's energy supply for customers. CU Boulder saw record numbers of football fans, national TV coverage, and lots of traffic Saturday. Lime, who was ready with 600 new scooters, had its best ridership day ever. Boulder City Council approved the electric scooter to expand its fleet west of 28th Street in August. On Saturday, 4,000 scooter riders took 5,700 trips. The Longmont Museum held a groundbreaking ceremony Friday for its building expansion project. Around $5 million was already donated towards the project. The museum launched an additional funding campaign Friday to raise $8 million more. Expansion plans include increasing the primary gallery space, constructing a dedicated children's gallery, and renovating the outdoor courtyard. The changes are expected to be completed in 2026. Chance of showers in the late afternoon and early evening. In Boulder, a high near 83 and a low around 57. In Denver and Fort Collins, highs near 84 and lows around 55. For KGNU, I'm Benita Lee. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Yvonne Olivas. Boulder ballots are going to look a bit different this year for the first ever direct election of the city's mayor. If you're unfamiliar with ranked choice voting, also known as instant runoff voting, we have a couple of guests in the studio to break down the process. Celeste Landry has been a member of the Boulder County League of Women Voters for over two decades and is a founding member of their voting methods team. Molly Fitzpatrick is the Boulder County Clerk and Recorder. She oversees three divisions, elections, motor vehicle, and recording. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Celeste, since voting methods is your area of expertise, let's start with you. What's the short and sweet summary of what ranked choice voting is and how it works? Great question. So first of all, I should say that the League of Women Voters avoids using the term ranked choice voting when we're talking about a specific 
type of voting method in that category. It's a category of voting methods. And so the one that we're using in Boulder is instant runoff voting. In fact, Boulder used a different type of, of ranked choice voting for 30 years from 1917 to 1947. So the way it works for instant runoff voting is the voters will rank candidates on their ballot. Number one is a first choice. And then if you have a second choice, you get to say it, which is great because you don't get to in other elections, right? In regular plurality elections. So you rank your choices and then the county clerk will count only the first choices. And if somebody gets a majority in the first round, the winner is declared. It's just like our regular plurality voting. But if nobody gets a majority, then we go to the instant runoff. And what happens is the lowest vote getters is eliminated. And anybody who voted for that person has their second choice counted on the ballot. And you keep going round by round until somebody has over half of the votes still being counted. So um, if somebody didn't put a second choice, then uh, their, and their first choice was eliminated, then their ballot won't be counted in the final tally. So it's not necessarily a majority, but it's so much better than what we have now. It's a little harder, but it's great that people can say more on their ballot. We are very excited about trying a better voting method. And how common is this kind of voting in municipal elections? So instant runoff voting has been around for uh, about two decades in the United States. Um, as I said before, there was this movement with a different kind of RCV, and Boulder was the second uh, city in the nation to adopt the proportional type of RCV. And our league is actually kind of interested in having the city investigate doing that again. Um, it's, it's, you know, the Bay Area uses instant runoff voting. New York City uses it. Maine uses it for some of their state primary elections and their, for their federal elections. Alaska uses it in a general election. Um, other little cities in Colorado, there are a few that have used it, but we're basically the first big test case. We're going to not... We're not counting by hand this time around. And I'm sure Molly can talk, Clerk Fitz, Fitzpatrick can talk more about that. <laughs> and Molly, um, as the county's top election official, was there any hesitation about adopting this kind of voting? Or are there any other races using this method? So traditionally, the city council has elected the mayor amongst themselves. And in 2020, there was a ballot question that went to voters asking, do we now want to elect the mayor amongst voters? And do we want to elect the mayor using ranked choice voting? And over 78% of voters in the city of Boulder said, yes, let's move towards that model. And so since that time, we have been working to implement this election change. And so we worked at the state legislature to pass a bill that requires the Secretary of State to come up with guidelines and rules on how we can govern and how we should govern um, and implement ranked choice voting. And so that's what we've been working towards in really that we followed the direction of the voters when they said, let's use this method of voting. 
voting. And so that's what we've been working towards since 2020, and we are ready to go this fall. Ranked choice voting really does touch every aspect of elections administration, so how the uh, tabulation system works, how ballots are designed, how we actually count ballots uh, and conduct voter outreach, um, and how we really education is a big part of this um, initiative. And so we are presenting with the League of Women Voters tomorrow at the Jewish uh, Community Center at 6.30 p.m. So uh, if anyone has specific questions or wants a deeper dive into how ranked choice voting works, that's one of the events that we're doing. We also invite anyone that has questions to reach out to our office on how we're implementing this change. And if, for example, there's a Boulder Valley School Board election happening this cycle, in two districts, District C and G, three candidates are running for each open seat. What happens if no candidate gets a majority of votes? So the only election that we are conducting using ranked choice voting this year is the city of Boulder mayoral election. Um, and so that's the only contest right now. And are there any other changes that are affecting the election process or any key dates that the public should be aware of? Yes, I'd love to highlight some key dates and information. Uh, this is a coordinated election and will include um, candidates and ballot measures at the state, local, state, county, and local level. Ballot content will be available on our website towards the end of this week or early next week. So if voters would like to take a look at what's going to appear in their ballots when they receive those ballots in the mail mid-October, they're welcome to do that just to get ahead of that. All active registered voters will receive a ballot in the mail beginning October 16th. So this is a good time for everyone to check their voter registration, make sure it's current, that there's no changes that you need to make. If you do need to make a change, it's very easy. You can go to govotecolorado.gov, and that will ensure those changes are made and that you get that ballot in mid-October. That being said, uh, there is no voter registration deadline in Colorado. Voters may register to vote up to and including Election Day. So voters can come to our office or go to a vote center to register to vote and actually vote anytime through Election Day, which is Tuesday, November 7th. Awesome. And as mentioned, the League of Women Voters of Boulder County is teaming up with the county clerks of both Boulder County and the city of Boulder to answer questions voters may have about the upcoming election. The in-person event will take place tomorrow, September 19th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. at the Jewish Community Center. Celeste, is there anything you'd like listeners to know about the event? We are very excited to be partnering with both the city and the county clerk, and this is a great opportunity for everybody to come and get the experts to answer your questions and to have a community discussion. And we, the League of Women Voters, will be conducting a sample a practice election using instant runoff ranked choice voting. Um, and you will get to see how it works firsthand. And I think that would that will be a great uh, opportunity for everybody. I hope I hope we get a lot of, of your listeners to join us. Molly, is there anything you'd like to add really quickly? I would add that your local elections office is here and ready to support voters in whatever way is most helpful. We have a lot of resources for first-time voters, Spanish-speaking voters, and voters that have been historically excluded from the process. So we are here to proactively affirm and celebrate every voter's right to vote. And uh, again, we're here as a resource and want to help in whatever way we can. So don't hesitate to reach out. My guests today have been Celeste Landry of the League of Women Voters of Boulder County and Molly Fitzpatrick, Boulder County Clerk and Recorder. Thanks to you both for coming into the studio.
You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Yvonne Olivas. Up next is CityCast Denver. The Colorado State Legislature just got its first Gen Z representative last week with the swearing-in of Tim Hernandez. City Cast Denver producer Paul Caroli and state politics correspondent Justine Sandoval sat down with Hernandez about the swearing-in ceremony and pay barriers to youth involvement. So joining me today are two returning favorites. First, our state politics and green chili correspondent, Justine Sandoval, is back. Welcome back. Howdy. So good to see you this morning, Justine. Good to see you. And our other returning guest, he was on the show about a month ago talking to us about DPS's seclusion room situation. He represents North and West Denver in the Colorado House of Representatives. Welcome back, Tim Hernandez. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, man? How are you? I'm great, Tim. I'm great. (laughs) Hell you were yeah. sworn in on Tuesday. I saw some pictures. What was that like? Uh, it was it was pretty surreal. I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm the first member of Gen Z, and so I like even like in, in the, the house in the house. Yeah, and so like I uh, it, it was really beautiful, man. I uh, we um, traditionally I was finding out from Capitol staff that usually folks are only allowed like two people, but like uh, I kind of just invited like a bunch of my students and my family and teachers. I taught so there was like fifty <laughs> oh, people, and we put them all on the house floor, and so like. We did a Chicano clap from the well. It was crazy. So it was it was a good time. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love that. Justine, what, is, what do you think that means? The first first Gen Z in our uh, House of Representatives. I love it. Gen Z in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, literally in the house. <laughs> but no, I'm like, I've been a big advocate for youth participation and voters for a long time. I was once upon a time the president of the Denver Young Dems, but now I'm an old Dem, so. Yeah, how did they, did they kick you out at yeah, a certain age? Yeah, they kick you out after oh, you turn, man. you can stay through 35, and then when you turn 36, you're gone. You go <laughs> oh, to man. the old. But no, I love it because I think, you know, uh, Gen Z is going to be our hope. Like, really, I think it's going to be the generation that's going to participate more than past generations have voted, like, at a younger age and voting and making decisions. So it just makes sense that there's a leader in our state house that's representing that demographic and hopefully encouraging that participation that we desperately need to make this crazy experiment of democracy work. (laughs) Yeah, I uh, so my Rocky Mountain High is actually a story that came out in Colorado politics this week. There was a hard-hitting story that I was really excited to see about legislator pay. Um, because for folks that don't know, we make, uh, I, I'm, I say we, cause now I'm a legislator <laughs> at the state house. Um, in the state of Colorado, we make about $43,000 a year for reference as a public school teacher. I made 42. And so like, hey, you, you know, nice I get an extra like there. 80 bucks a month, uh-huh. but <laughs> right, like, um, but actually it was a wonderful story. Uh, there was a lot of folks featured, um, folks like Stephanie Vigil, um, who is representing Colorado Springs. I was really excited because it, it was really, you know, a, a kind of a, a pulling back of the mask of what does it look like to actually be a state legislator in Colorado? And it described, right, Stephanie Vigil was a gig worker who, as she was campaigning, she was, you know, door dashing and trying to make it work. And what I really appreciated about it um, was that they had featured a bunch of different stories who, like, shared that, like, yes, legislators don't make enough, but we need a citizen legislature that represents poor people too, right? Because, you know, only offering $42,000 a year is not even close enough to live comfortably in Denver, right? Right. 
And I think it, it was really revealing because it kind of pulled back the idea that legislators are just a wealthy elite. There are wealthy folks in the legislature, but often that comes from the fact that they have wealth already, that they have yeah. uh, a social condition. They, they live with a partner who has a well-paying job. They have another job that allows them to do something else. And it skews our representation older and wider. And so I think, um, you know, it, it featured great stories of, of my homies like uh, Mandy Lindsay out of Aurora, who has folks in her family who have dealt with, you know, incarceration. And from that lived experience, because she's now a legislator, passed a bill last year to make phone calls from in- incarcerated sites more affordable, right? Stephanie Dieter runs a bill on gig workers to make sure that gig workers have the right to know their transparency, right? Elizabeth Velasco, who, uh, you know, is from the Western Slope. I love her. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful person, right? Um, she ran a translation business in, in the Western Slope, which is pivotal for, uh, you know, Latinos in the Western Slope. And, you know, she passes a bill this year where emergency alerts for natural disasters were only available in English. And she passed a bill that it should be, you know, offered in all languages. <laughs> right. And so I think, you know, it, it, it was really, um, really formative. And in, in the story, they shared that 3% of state legislators nationally come from working class professions compared to 52% of the U.S. population. Right. That, hmm. that there's a, an overrepresentation of wealth in a, in a place of power, and that's why we get policy in the way that we do. And so I think, you know, it was, it was a, a really great article that really humanized a lot of the folks in the legislature that really kind of built a good, uh, what I would say, like a public narrative to start readdressing how do we want to build a legislative system that encourages people from all walks of life to participate so that we can get to the best outcomes for Coloradans. Hmm. That is an interesting issue. What's the other side of this, though? Because I know there's arguments against it. I think I've heard people say, like, uh, if we raise the pay for representatives, then we'll get people running for office just for the money, I think is one. Justine, are you familiar with this debate? Yeah, I mean, this has been an ongoing debate for many years. And the pay has actually increased. I think it was (laughs) 30,000 about five years ago for state legislators. But the idea is like, yeah. You have a lot of independently wealthy people running government here for a long time who $30,000 is an extra drop in the bucket. So, you know, having people be able to come in and have a living wage, you open it up to people who went, especially like young people of color who went to school for a really Mm -hmm. long time that wanted to be public servants, but then get there and they're like, oh, I've got crazy student loans. I've got all these things to pay off and I cannot live off, you know, 40 $43,000 a year. Um, so there's that piece. But then, yeah, it also, you see places like Denver where you, as a, a public servant, you actually do get paid a lot of money. Our city council members make like ninety-two dollars a year. Um, so they become more competitive and it's kind of harder to like weed out who's really there to legislate. So it's really catching too. I think there needs to be a fair livable wage and that there needs to be more conversation about how we pay people in politics in general. One thing I will add, I think people see a lot of money going into the election cycle and they think that translates into like what the politicians are making. And it's a crazy amount of money to run for office. Like I don't think people really understand the amount, but all of that just goes to being elected. Like none of that goes into when you're actually legislature, legislator, legislator. And, um, I think that that's one thing people don't understand the difference to. Like, they're like, there's so yeah. much money going into politics. You're fine. And it's like, actually, no, that went to literally <laughs> your 10,000 mailers you got last election. Yeah, yeah. Spent. Well, hmm, huh. turns out money in politics, kind of a complicated situation. Who'd have thunk it? Yeah, um, anyway, yeah. that article sounds fascinating. I got to read up on this. Um, Tim, 
Justine, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Appreciate you. You just heard an excerpt from CityCast Denver, the local Denver daily news podcast. Learn more about subscribing to the podcast at denver.citycast.fm or wherever you get your podcasts. That's all for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Yvonne Olivas. Shannon Young is our show producer. Thanks to Benita Lee, Juanito Hurtado, Jack Armstrong, Alexis Kenyon, guests Celeste Landry and Molly Fitzpatrick, and the City Castember crew for their contributions to today's program. If you'd like to comment on something you heard on KGNU, you can leave us a voicemail at 303-447-9911. We play the messages back on Tuesdays during the morning magazine. Stay tuned for a commentary from Jim Hightower. And then it's good old CU with Joe Yuhas. That's just after the news update from the BBC.